0: Welcome to the Bee Podcast. The mission of the Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age. To have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey. To listen to stories similar and different than our own. Engage in each other's triumphs and failures. Hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled. The loss we have endured. The joy we have encountered. And the reason behind the lessons we have learned. These symbolize community, personal growth, and power, and that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is the Bee Podcast. Hello, Bee Podcast listeners, and welcome to another episode of Season 2. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot wait to dive into today's episode with you. This conversation is absolutely beautifully and perfectly raw. Today, Kinsey Gillespie joins us and shares the loss of her two closest and best friends, her big sister and her little brother. As a senior in high school, Kinsey's brother Trent was killed in a fatal car accident that shook the city of Ottumwa to its core. Then, as an adult, she experienced an all too familiar feeling when the cancer her older sister beat as a child returned. Today, Kinsey not only shares the events that altered her life, she shares her heart and the pieces of it she was left to pick up after it had been shattered. Hi, everyone. I am here with Kinsey Gillespie. Kinsey, tell us about who you are.
1: My name's Kinsey. I am 34 now. As you get older, it's kind of hard to remember what age you are, but um, I am, I, I guess, who I am now um, is a mom. Like I would say that is definitely like my, my main identity now um, is three awesome kids. Um, Callan, he's eight, Harper, seven, and then Charlotte, she will be two in June. So um, they are my life. Keep me busy. Yeah. that's, That's pretty much, I would say the core of who I am right now. Yeah. I work for a marketing or I'm sorry, a health and wellness company here in West Des Moines doing marketing for them. And uh, I love it provided a ton of great opportunities to just do good for others and within the community to really get that philanthropic side out is is awesome for me. So uh, definitely enjoy doing that. And married to my husband, James, who is a Des Moines firefighter. So his first responder schedule has also been, you know, pretty crazy with three kids. Um, You know, every third day I'm a solo parent and have. Uh, we make it. We're very proud of him for you know what he does for our community. And we're really grateful for him and all of the other first responders. So your schedule so.
0: is busy. Your life is busy. All of the things. Um, it's wonderful. It sounds like you have quite the beautiful family. So let's <laughs> kind of dive into growing up. Um, can you talk about your nuclear family as a child? What you remember? Yeah,
1: sure. Um, so I have Um, My three siblings, and then I lived with my mom and dad. So in our immediate household, it was me, my younger brother Trent, were 15 months apart, and then my parents, and then my older brother and sister. My sister is 16 years older than me, so she wasn't in the house, uh, you know, a lot growing up that I remember. Um, And then my older brother's 10 years older than me, and he lived most of that time with his dad in Wisconsin. So it was very much just from my memory, Trent and I in the house together and my my other siblings were not I was incredibly close, obviously, with my brother being that close in age, did everything together. We lived in the middle of nowhere. So we didn't have like, friends houses that we just, you know, walk two doors out and knock on the door and play with them. It was just the two of us. I remember you know, cable and things were super limited at that time. And I mean, arguably still still are in that area. But, you know, we didn't have access to a lot of, you know, the the internet and things that other people did. So it was just him and I entertaining each other using our imaginations. And, you know, those are some of my my best memories. And what I hope for my kids now is put your tablets down and just go use your imagination, Um, which is hard these days. But Yeah, so that, you know, it was us a lot of the time. My sister at the time when I was born, and I'll always remember this because she never let me forget it, but she was actually um, diagnosed with cancer and was going through treatment um, when my mom was pregnant with me. And when I was born, she consistently, you know, told me that I was her saving grace and her guardian angel that. I'm the reason that she was alive was because she wanted to see her, her baby sister be born. And she did, she fought, um, recovered and, and we had a really close relationship as I was growing up too. She was older. So I got to go spend weekends at her house and do all, all kinds of fun things. And she was just always that friend, but also kind of a second, the second mom to me. And I spent a ton of
0: time. And after that treatment, you were able to kind of leave that cancer in the past for for that. So then can you talk about the special memories of your mom and dad growing up? Yeah.
1: So my mom worked um, in Albia at the time when we were growing up. So when we were younger um, and going to the babysitter, we had a ton of time in the car with her. And my mom has just She's an an incredible woman. She was always very present. I, I think about myself sometimes and like the way that I parent now. And I think it's really easy for me to set my kids down in front of a tablet or let them play video games or literally do anything else to entertain themselves. But my mom it was and still very much is an entertainer. So she was very present with us, loved to play games. And I remember those, those trips and stuff. It was never just, we're going to turn on the radio and, you know, drive you 20 minutes to daycare. It was, we're going to play, we're going on vacation and I'm taking a whatever with me or, you know, the, right, <laughs> the license yeah. to play game or any of those yeah. other things. She's just always, such a great mom. And there was, I remember a Burger King like on the outside of town that we would stop every morning. And at the time they had like sandwiches called breakfast buddies. And for some reason, that memory always sticks out in my mind of her stopping to get us those on the way to daycare in the morning. It was like a special treat. But yeah, it's just always very, very present. My dad, his job when we were younger required him to travel a lot. So those early memories with him Aren't as strong in my mind, but I know the times that we did spend together, you know, at home, he was the same way, very active, like building snow forts and getting outside playing catch with us in the front yard, like just an an awesome dad. And then when we got older, um, my parents made the decision for my dad to quit his job and to stay home with us. Trent and I were very involved in all sorts of extracurriculars. And my parents had the conversation and decided that they their goal was to always be at our events, to at least have one parent at every event. Um, so at that time, my dad quit his job and was that parent that chauffeured us and took us everywhere and was at every event and you know my mom was was there as well um, for the games and stuff but yeah he took that role on and was awesome at it and it was you know kind of weird at the time because it wasn't traditional I would say it was still very much the other way around typically but we thought it was so cool to
0: to have our dad home with us so I'm so glad that you guys had that um because what a gift what a gift that is so then can we move on to talking about your brother Trent and um kind of some special memories that you have with yeah, him growing up?
1: I have all the memories with Trent growing up. Like I said, we um we kind of left to our own devices to to entertain ourselves. My dad was uh, you know, shut the TV off and get outside. Like you're not gonna sit inside all day. And so that was us, you know, kicked out the back door of a farmhouse to go. <laughs> To go make our own way. So um, just all the adventures out there we would, you know, take our bikes and pretend that we were like in a busy city and like make up our own little worlds and climb trees and we would I remember we like made race cars out of wagons and like put all the things that like I would pray my children don't do now because it's actually like super dangerous um you know but we would make like race cars out of wagons and like push each other down the hill and just kind of pray for the best um tons of time out in the snow uh you know I remember we used to make kool-aid stands during the summer and you know it was probably something we saw in a movie but we just always wanted to like have our own lemonade stand so first I don't know why this sticks out in my mind but for some reason we always made green kool-aid but we would put that on that front yard knowing that nobody drives by our house besides the people that live there so my parents would yeah like my parents would sit, let us sit out there for a while and then eventually they would just come give us a an entire huge jar of change and like bias us out of our, our Kool-Aid stock, <laughs> But I mean there was no one else going by. So that that I'll always oh, yeah. remember. But yeah, we um, you know, shared a room growing up. So we had bunk beds in there. I had the top on the bottom and, you know, just several evenings of just sitting there like laughing and talking and you know, supposed to be sleeping, but just, you know, talking about life and sitting in there playing video games and, you know, watching movies and, and all the things. So we, you know, shared that room for quite a while until it was, you know, time that we had our own space. And then my parents moved to their bedrooms downstairs and then Trent and I were just down the hall from each other. So still like we would just walk down to the other one's room and talk about our day. And we definitely had our moments of, you know, this is my room, get out. or you know, I hate you or blah, 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 you know, normal, normal sibling stuff, but I would say that those moments were far less than, than the good. Like, you know, I think like my kids now are constantly fighting and they have, you know, a a pretty small age gap as well. So, you know, that was something I looked forward to them was like sharing that, that bond as well. But um, yeah, just the normal sibling fighting, but for the most part, we were in you know continue to be best friends and, and tell each other everything and we're very very close because it was just
0: just the two so of us. So did you have any particular family activities that you did or special traditions that you had growing up as as a family? It just
1: I mean not really um other than outside of like, you know, birthdays and holidays. I would definitely say Christmas was our huge, huge holiday, like something that we always look forward to every year. Um, Trent and I would always, you know, wake each other up. And then we would wake my parents up. And it was always like, you guys have to wait until we brush our teeth and get our coffee. And then we can all walk in together because, you know, that first initial moment of like walking in on Christmas morning, they wanted us, us to all be there together. But that, you know, was always Super memorable. Um, they went above and beyond every single year, and that was something Trent and I always looked forward to. And then birthdays. My birthday is July 27th, and my brother Nathan's birthday is July 25th, so we're two days apart. And then Trent's birthday is November 13th, and my sister Jenny's birthday is November 14th. So we just kind of had those two blocks where we were, you know, back to back birthdays always made sure that that those celebrations were that it was always celebrated. Um, we didn't have birthday parties growing up. It was just always a family thing. So just uh, we would pick our theme and whatever cake it was that we wanted that year. Um, my parents would have it made to match our theme and, you know, do gifts and whatever else. But it was just our immediate family. And I feel like that was like, it was really special to me to just have that immediate family. Like growing up, I feel I was probably resentful because all of my friends had these parties and like all of these big celebrations. But looking back now, like that time together and like just really being with my immediate family to celebrate um, birthdays, especially was and it is super special. So
0: I like what you're saying about having that just immediate family time where yes, it's intentional.
1: Yeah, I think that's and, beautiful. And- Me too. And we, I mean, we do that. We do that here now. Um, I would say on the kids' actual birthday, we do that immediate, you know, family cake and celebrate with just us. But then of course I do because I didn't have them growing up go above and beyond with their birthday parties more than I probably should. Um, obviously not as much in the last year or two because of the things, but, um, yeah, definitely. And, and aside from, holidays i would say our time together as a family and growing up was spent at wrestling tournaments on the weekends always trent was very involved and a great great wrestler so we spent our weekends at tournaments and i never hated it because i probably had a crush on any given five wrestlers in any weekend you know so i was like oh i get to see so and so wrestle today i'm like yeah so it was completely fine for them to uh to drag me to those I would say I've been boy crazy from the second I uh, was born so <laughs> yeah it was always uh, you know I got engaged in in kindergarten and um, I guess arguably still am we never really broke that off but I think he he's married now and I'm oh. married so but anyway yeah we <laughs> I never fought them on attending those tournaments and it was just so awesome to watch Trent honestly because he left his heart out on that Matt, and he was so awesome at what he did. And I was always really jealous because his, you know, his shelves and his room were filled with like these big trophies from just, you know, kicking ass. And I I think I had like a plaque from winning like a free throw contest in like second grade, and maybe like a participation ribbon for track or something. So I was always really jealous of, of his trophy. So I actually tried i think i went to like two practices maybe to like be a wrestler and i was like because a lot of those tournaments all you had to do was show up and be in like one match and you would get even like a small trophy and i was like oh i can do that how old were you oh i have no idea um this is probably yeah it was elementary but i went to like two practices and i you know, obviously, wasn't in it for the right reasons, and I didn't particularly enjoy like being wrestled around. Like, I just wanted the trophy. So, at that point, it's probably just easier to like order one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he
0: was super
1: athletic, and and a lot of our weekends were spent at those wrestling tournaments. So that's always fun. Absolutely. As
0: well. So he wrestled from the time yeah. he was very little. Then,
1: no, he started in elementary. So not, not super young, like not straight out the, out of the gate when you first could, but he was young when he started.
0: Um, But yeah, it was elementary years and then continued on. So I love hearing about all of those wonderful, special memories that you have with your family. As far as looking forward, September 14th came in your life. And I know that everyone attending Atomal High School and Evans Middle School will always remember September 14th. Can you talk about that day, what you remember? Describe your day leading up to the news that you received.
1: So I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I have probably blocked a lot of this out. And it's probably something that at some point I I should work through. And maybe those memories would come back. But that day, I don't remember a lot leading up to it. But I... uh, do remember that my mom and I um, had rented like a bunch of movies and this was really like my last my last memory which is (laughs) something that I'll always regret but my mom and I had rented a bunch of movies and like we're just planning on having like a her and I night which never never really happened and um I think we had like five to choose from and I had sat down and like we settled or I know that we settled on American beauty and we were putting it in to watch it. And Trent had come and asked my mom if he could stay the night at Zach's. You know, she, she agreed. And I remember he had come in the living room and I like told him, I was like, you can't watch the movie with us. Like, this is just mom and I, like, this is our night together. You are not going to watch this with us. So, I mean, that was really the last thing I said. And I mean, stupid and hateful but you know I just wanted my time with my mom and anyway he wanted to go to a friend's house so it's not like he really cared and she agreed and I don't remember I know that there was some some reason that maybe she didn't want him to go but I, I honestly don't remember what that was That for some reason that just sticks out in my mind but she did she let him go and he went to stay and night with his friend and my mom and I you know we had our movie night and I would say that if you were, you know, a gambling person, you can always put money on um, both of us falling asleep before we ever make it to the end of a movie. So, you know, we, we were watching that and both of us we had fallen asleep and then Hannah woke up and was like, okay, we'll, we'll just go to bed. So that was it. We, he had left to go, um, you know, stay the night at a friend's house and see his friends. And then my mom and I had our movie night until we fall asleep. And then I went up to my room and, and went to bed. So then I, I don't know what time it was or anything. I know that I slept through the sheriff's knocking on the door. I didn't hear them. My parents' bedroom was downstairs and mine was upstairs. And uh, I have to sleep with a fan on. So, you know, if you were to walk into my room at night, it sounds like a jet plane taking off because (laughs) the louder the box fan, the better. But so I, I sleep through anything and I didn't hear it. So Apparently they had, they had left and had come back. And I remember the hallway light had like flipped on and my mom, it was still dark out. I, like I said, no idea what time it was. My mom had sat down on my bed and woke me up, which was completely out of character because I'm not the kind of person that you want to wake up. It's best to just let me do that on my own. And, you know, she just sat there and she, said Trent's been in an accident and she wasn't crying. Like there wasn't a, a whole lot of anything going on other than she just, you know, told me that he'd been in an accident. And obviously my immediate response was, is he okay? And just no beating around the bush. Like just, she just came right out and said, he's dead. And I was just, I was just completely in shock. Um, I don't think that I reacted right away. And honestly, I'm like the worst person to have at funerals because the way that I deal with my emotions sometimes is just by smiling. And I know that that's a common thing. Like I'm not the only one that experiences that, but it's embarrassing. And it's like, there's nothing, you know, happy about this, but I think that's just my my response to <laughs> bad news for whatever reason but don't really remember right after that i don't remember getting up and getting dressed i don't remember when we left the house i don't i don't even remember why we had to go back to the hospital because they had already been to identify the body and they confirmed that it was trent they had told my parents um about the accident. And then they had to go in and identify the body. So they did all of that while I was still still asleep. And I, you know, I think part of the reason for that was that they wanted to be sure before they broke the news to me, because obviously why put that on me if it if it turned out to not be the truth. So they had gone and done that and then they they came back. And my mom broke the news and then um I I, Like I said, I don't really remember anything other than we went back to the hospital. And I remember walking in the emergency exit out of Tama Regional. I remember Trent at the time was dating Liz and she, you know, we had kind of had our ups and downs, her and I, because her and I were best friends. And, you know, I stayed every weekend at her house. And then as, you know, we got a little bit older and you know she started to develop an interest in Trent and obviously vice versa so then they were in a relationship and the time wasn't she was like coming to hang out with me it was that she wanted to hang out with my brother and it was just a dynamic shift and I I didn't love the idea at first so when her her and I's relationship kind of suffered because of that like our our friendship did thought that she was great for my brother and they were yeah like great for my brother great together but Like that was my best friend, you know. So anyway, she she was in the emergency room, um, waiting room with with me as well. And I, you know, I just remember sitting there. Her and I were just holding hands, and it was just, you know, we were just transported back into that place where we were best friends and each other's rock. And any resentment that I had harbored towards her for, you know, dating my brother was just gone in that moment. And her and I really leaned on each other. So I didn't see him in the hospital. Like I said, I don't know why we even had to go back because at that point they had already there he was gone. There was nothing to be done and they had identified the body. So and then we left and everything else was just kind of a whirlwind.
0: And what was that night like? Do you do you remember going home after that? Where where did you I go? don't
1: remember where we went after the hospital. I I would say, you know, the next series of events are just a complete blur. And like I said, I don't know if it's just I don't want to remember or I just completely like <laughs> blocked it out. But I remember going to the funeral home. I don't know at what point that was, but I remember going to the funeral home, Reese Funeral Home, which I was unfortunately all too familiar with already with just the family members that <laughs> had passed and walked in there and again remember you know Liz being there and my parents and I don't remember anyone else that was there at all other than us and uh, we were able to to see him and I remember my mom saying you know if if you want to go see him if you want to say your goodbyes obviously he's no longer here but to provide you some kind of closure if you want to go back there and I was adamant like I did not want to see him like I was just refusing I I said I couldn't and uh I don't remember who ultimately changed my mind and I'm still glad to this day that they did but I remember I finally decided that you know yes I did need to see him I needed to like make it real in my mind so I went back to the room and I remember people saying that he was in bad shape his body and uh so I had kind of prepared myself for that as much as I could. But Reese being home is awesome. And you know, they he was he was cleaned up and he was just laying on this big like marble slab for some reason is what I feel like it was. But with a white sheet pulled up like right under underneath his neck, I could see like a couple of lacerations, but nothing like major that was like, oh, caught me off guard or really triggering other than obviously that was my brother laying there you know um he just looked peaceful he was asleep he hadn't just pale and like he was sleeping and like I said a couple cuts and scrapes that I could see but nothing like I was prepared for I just remember talking to him and telling him that I loved him and that I was sorry and you know I I said my goodbyes and uh I kissed him on the cheek And then that was like when it really hit me because he was just cold. And, you know, up until that, until that, it was just, just looks like someone's there sleeping and not as, I mean, obviously I just lost my sibling. So I'm distraught, but then to like, you know, feel his body temperature and be like, this is real. That was the moment, but I think things really like just hit me, and I had no idea how we were possibly going to be okay.
0: Right? How do you navigate that, especially you know a teenager in high school? Yeah. Again, don't remember leaving
1: the funeral home, but that ch- my family, like I said, we've experienced a lot of a lot of loss of family members unfortunately so uh, that was always I mean more better not and it's it even is with my family they know exactly what I want done when I pass but that that was always a conversation that we had had with you know Trent me my parents there was never you know Trent wanted to be an organ donor we all you know wanted to be organ donors and cremated um that was just what we had all decided that we wanted so we knew that that's what Trent had wanted he'd verbalized those wishes so that's that's what we did. So seeing him in the funeral home was the last time that I, I got to see him. And then he was cremated. I don't remember leaving the funeral home. Don't really remember the events after that. I just remember being at my house and it was just a sea of people in and out. Like it was just a flood of people in and out, which was so surreal because we never had anybody over. I would say Trent and I maybe had people stay the night like a handful of times. Our place just, our house just wasn't the place like that you, you know, you, you have that house or that friend's house where you spend your weekends. That wasn't ours. So it's just really weird to have a bunch of people in and out of the house because we rarely any had anybody there other than family. You know, a lot of people I knew, a lot of people I recognized, a lot of people I didn't and I know a lot of people came through that. I remember thinking like, why are they here? I obviously was grateful that people came to pay their respects and, you know, whoever people need to grieve and get their own closure. I can, I can respect that, but I feel like there was a lot of, I guess, lucky loos for lack of a better term that were just very like, you know, their community had just been shaken. And I think that they were just more curious and, and I remember one, I, I still don't know who, who the person is. I couldn't tell you her name to save my life, but I remember she was sitting in Trent's room because a lot of people like, you know, curiosity and grieving and closure, like a lot of people, a lot of his friends went up to his room and we uh, were just kind of hanging out up there for a bit and talking and sharing stories. And um, but there was this this girl that I didn't know in there. I'm a, pretty open book. I would say I, I don't really keep much to myself. So if you're going to ask me something, I'm going to, you know, be as honest as I can about it, but I'll never forget. She looked at me and she's like, I heard that they were decapitated and I had like never been in so much shock. I don't think, I think I honestly laughed because who the hell comes into somebody's house and you know says that it was so so bizarre to me and I'll never forget it and I don't think I answered her obviously that was not the case but yeah yeah, it was just it was really
0: weird so I just remember that sea of people during the time that people were coming in and out of your home did you ever feel like you wanted them out like go away because in reference to what you were saying, you know, people grieve in their own different ways and they need that closure and they need that, they need to know and see for themselves as far as all of that is concerned. But I mean, you're being very considerate in, in other people's, they're not the one that lost a brother. They're not the one that lost a son, you know? So did you feel a little bit like it was intrusive?
1: Yes. I'm also the person though, that (laughs) I just care too much about other people. Like I, I kind of put myself on the back burner and make sure that everyone else feels okay. I'm just a nurturer. So that's just who who I am. So yeah, I, I felt sympathetic to the people that were coming through because that's what they needed. But I also felt like I wanted people to leave that I just wanted my space. And I think at some point I did just go shut myself in my room and you know let everyone else be. I know that my parents we're sitting in the living room for a lot of the time and that Trent's close friends were sitting in there with them just all like telling stories just story after story of Trent and like stuff that they had you know been up to together and I think for my parents at that time it was therapeutic and what they needed was for them to be there and to share those stories but for me I, I just wanted to be <laughs> alone. And I, like I said, I think I did go shut myself in my room
0: for that, that
1: very reason.
0: Do you remember the, the thoughts that went through your head as far as, you know, knowing that he's gone and having, having seen that he was gone and and feeling that he was gone? What, what thoughts did you have? Do you remember any of those?
1: Thinking and knowing that nothing was ever going to be the same. I thought about all the things that he was not going to get to experience now, which the more I thought about that, the more sad that I got. And really just, what am I going to do? Like, how do we move on from this? I was mad. I was upset. I didn't understand. I just, I was just completely lost, honestly. But I do remember everybody did leave eventually. And it was just then my parents and myself. At that point, just the silence was so deafening that you almost wanted people to come back because then you are left alone with the reality and your thoughts. Like you're not, you know, busy trying to have these conversations and have these people coming in and out. You're just left with your own thoughts and emotions. And I would say that that's when things got really hard for me because my parents had each other and they were grieving the loss of their child. I was by myself grieving the loss of my sibling. <laughs> that would be the person that I would walk down the hall and tell everything to. So normally when I'm upset, I have these feelings and I need someone to talk to. And, you know, it's my parents have each other. And then me and Trent had each other. Um, my person was gone. And he wasn't coming back. And I just felt... <laughs> Very, very alone after that. And there was a shift then, too, in my mind and my parents' relationship. Because, like I said, they had each other and they grieved a, the loss of a child. Completely different feeling, you know. Um, but they at least had somebody. And I just didn't know how to
0: cope. Yeah, I just felt very,
1: very alone after that.
0: Did you feel burdensome to to talk to your parents?
1: It just felt like they didn't understand. And obviously, you know, you have people coming and telling all these stories about Trent, who was an incredible person. He's the golden child. Like he is incredibly athletic and handsome and smart and kind. And I think you would be hard-pressed to find anybody who has something bad to say about him, honestly. (laughs) A good person. And I, on the other hand was kind of like the rebel child and you know I would get in trouble and I would do things that I wasn't supposed to do and you know put a lot of stress on my parents like once I got in into high school like you know getting underage drinking tickets or doing stupid stuff where the cops were called or my parents would have to go down to the police station and get me which they never did they actually said you know keep her <laughs> she can learn her. she can learn her lesson at which point my grandma came and got me but yeah I was you know just underage drinking and stupid things that I shouldn't have been doing and and I you know had they had that stress with me that they didn't have with Trent so um, hearing all of these stories about how like perfect he was which I totally agree um, as perfect as a person can be because no one is my mind really went to like I wish it was me and they probably wish it was me and why him? And like, I was the shitty person. You know, it should have been me is just, you know, the thoughts that, that I had. And that was hard too, because, you know, I was feeling that on my own. I didn't have anyone to talk about it to, And I would say at that point in time, when that happened, therapy wasn't as widely accepted or maybe like the first thing that you would go to and so I didn't have that resource available either just you know out of ignorance I
0: questioned why yeah it's all it all feels out of control like you yeah which is the worst as far as like the aftermath and you're talking about those like dark thoughts that you have and I'm sure are very normal thoughts to have once your world is rocked that much do you remember trying to return to normal after that? I mean, how did you feel like you were rushed to get back to your normal?
1: No, I, am um, so it was my senior year when this happened. And, uh, at that point in your life, I think your senior year in high school, you just want to be with your friend. Like those are your people. So I went back to school almost immediately. And I remember walking into my psychology class and everyone just being shocked that I was there. I think that they had some sort of plan that day to write me cards to deliver or something. And then I had like shown up and I think it just kind of threw everyone off. Like, why is she here already? And I, I had more than one person say, why are you here? And I'll go back to what I said. It's because my house was so quiet and just sitting there alone with my thoughts and being with my parents who were grieving differently. And I didn't feel like understood my pain just isn't somewhere that I wanted to be. And I didn't want to be in the house that was right down the hall from my brother's room that he would never set foot in again. Like I just wanted out. So I went back to school almost immediately so that I could be in, you know, surrounded by my, my friends and the people who I felt got me and I knew that they were hurting too. And obviously still in a different way, but My close connection then was with my friends, not with my my parents. And that's just where I felt like I needed and wanted to be. I don't remember if I made it through the whole day or really anything else about it. I just know that I, I went back almost immediately.
0: You talked a little bit about, you know, people going into your brother's room just, you know, to see it. Do you remember going into your brother's room alone? And looking at the way that things were left.
1: Yep. And it was just, oh, I don't even know how many weeks prior, but this was heavy in the season of creating your own like burn CDs, like, you know, oh, downloading yes. Napster onto your parents computer and crashing everything. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So we had just a ton, like a CD case full of, you know, burn CDs or whatever, and A couple weeks prior, we had, by we, I mean, he recorded it and I was the star of the show, but um, created a music video to Ashanti's Happy. It didn't age well, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, at the time, we thought it was pretty freaking cool. And uh, (laughs) I remember walking in his room and... You know, just kind of sitting down in the middle of the floor and that CD was like still in the CD player from and when we'd done that. And like I remember listening to that song, which is a pretty happy upbeat song. I mean, it's called Happy. And I just cried. And that was just like the first time that I just just like broke down and <laughs> let it go. And his PlayStation was still set up like he had it. Everything else was and his room stayed like that. For years, my parents didn't touch anything. It was just this just this time capsule, basically, of when his life stopped and the more years that passed and the time that went by, and how much, you know, technology advanced and things changed and the more and more data in his room and the things in it got, honestly, just the sadder it got because. He was just robbed of so much life. Eventually I got my shit together (laughs) and had kids. At that point, my parents slowly, but surely, you know, transitioned Trent's room into a playroom for the kids. So now Trent's bedroom is their toy room. And when we go down there, that's where they play. You know, obviously it took a ton of time to get to that point, but now it's, happy space that we can go into and you know talk about the memories and we talk about Trent my kids ask questions all the time about Uncle Trent and happily talk about it like my kids probably know more about death than any seven and eight year old should um but like I said I'm always open and honest about any questions they have and happy to talk about about their Uncle Trent so they uh, we get to share stories when we're down there and they play in his his room and um You know, within the last year, my parents purchased a new bunk bed and put in there. So it's kind of full circle and surreal in that moment, too, because now that's where my kids sleep when they, they go down there and you've got Harper on the top bunk and Kellen on the bottom, which is just how Trent and I were. And I can smile more than it makes me sad when I see that. And I'm happy for the memories that they get to make out there now. But yeah, just a full full circle moment. So
0: it's absolutely heartbreaking and beautiful all at the same time. I love that you talk about him to your children and they know they know all of these things and um, can have that. I think that's special that they have that room too. And I love that it is a wonderful, happy play space for them. I mean, in, in thinking about kind of transitioning back to your normal, like you said, you were a senior. After you graduated, did you feel as though you felt like you needed to stay for your parents at all? Or did you feel good about going away and doing your thing? What did life look like for you after high school graduation? So I ended up going to um, Indian Hills
1: after graduation so that I could stay close. But our relationship was definitely strained after Trent died. My dad and I were not really getting along and it was, you know, He was disappointed in me and in the choices that I was making and and rightfully so. I kind of kind of went off the deep end, like I, you know, was coping how I knew how to cope. And that was drinking and doing things that, you know, I shouldn't be doing as a senior in high school. And just I, I feel like my parents were constantly getting one blow after another from the things that I had done or the stories they had heard about me doing wasn't a great person. And I'll admit that so living in the same house, uh, wasn't really an option, but I did move into the dorms at Hills and went there. And the only reason I went there and I am thankful for this is, you know, I cheered throughout high school and then I got the opportunity to cheer at Hills. So, cheerleading was the only thing that even made me go to college. I didn't go to college for an education. I went there to cheer, but thankfully I had that and it pushed me to get started. And then from there I went on to William Penn. So still not far from home, Um, but also because of cheerleading, not because of school. So I continued to do that, but continued to make pretty poor choices and get myself in trouble and, I would say 99.9% of those bad choices and things that I got in trouble were all related well, to drinking. I mean, you're
0: you're coping. Counseling wasn't something that was super widely accepted or maybe not talked about or known of. I mean, that makes sense. It makes sense that what what you were doing.
1: And I did I do think that my parents at some point recognized that counseling may be beneficial. So they did send me to a therapist for a hot second. I want to say I maybe went to three sessions, if that. And then she determined that my drinking was a problem, that I might be harmful to myself. So she, at that point, intervened and told my parents that my drinking and my alcohol use was a problem. And obviously, I lost complete trust and faith in her at that time, because I thought this was someone that I could talk to. Candidly, and tell her right. anything, and basically, like she just turned around and told told my parents, and uh, and I stopped going. And the time that I was going, they had prescribed um, antidepressants, and also that was, you know, not really widely accepted or any of those kind of things at that time. But they, I remember my dad um, was pretty adamant about me not taking them because of their um, the statistics with suicide rates and people taking the medication so I think he was he's not stupid like he looking back I'm sure that he would say he probably should have continued taking that but he had just lost a child and was not gonna bury another one so you think that was heavy on his mind too so I did try for a second to get into therapy and to to deal with it but stopped so that's where drinking continued to just be like how long
0: did that last
1: well into you know my adult years I used drinking as a means of coping I used it as a way to escape and shut my brain off and um to sleep literally everything. I didn't want to feel or deal with my emotions. So I just drank and then I I didn't have to. And it was, it's so weird, because I think unless you hung out with me or were one of my friends, you would have never probably known that that was such a huge part of my life. But I drank a ton. I I mean, I still passed my classes and I still, you know, cheered and like maintained this you know, normal life, um, normal in quotes, I guess, but drinking was always, you know, when I'm done with practice, I'm going to go drink or I'm going to go out drinking or I'm going to go to this party and do this. And just it, it was always at the forefront of my mind, just drinking. And I sabotaged a lot of relationships because of it, self-sabotaged, I would say, um, all like my boyfriends and anything going throughout life. I would use the alcohol as an excuse to do something stupid and to, you know, cheat on them or whatever it was. I I yeah. just feel like yeah. part of me was really I used alcohol as an excuse for doing those things, but really I think I was just not wanting anyone to get that close to me for fear of losing them. Oh. Big picture now when I could take a step back and like look at it through a wider lens. Yeah. Like I wanted to love and to be loved, but I also was not prepared to lose someone else close to me. So I just don't think I ever let anybody get that well, you're functioning
0: and you're operating out of a broken heart and it hadn't healed and you know, it, it won't ever heal, but when it's that fresh and that raw, I mean, that makes sense. Kenzie, as you got older, you lost another sibling to cancer. When was she diagnosed?
1: I don't remember when the actual diagnosis was she had started to get, you know, sick again with other things and then was in and out of the hospital for appointments. And, you know, with her, it was just, it was scary. And it was sad, but so hopeful for a good outcome because she'd beaten cancer once, you know, like, she came through the other side and she was, she was fine. So I never really thought to myself that I was going to lose her too. I thought that she would be okay. And I wish I would have prepared myself a little bit differently and taken it more seriously than I did and spent more time with her towards the end, because I thought she'll pull through and I'll have all the days with her still. And, and that wasn't the case. So she uh, turned a corner pretty quick Um, thing that bad. And you know, the kids, Kellen and Herper were, were younger. And, you know, we went down there and I remember them crawling, you know, all over her and playing with her dogs and seeing Aunt Jenny and just getting to be down there and, you know, spending that time, like holding her hand and calling with her. And like some of the last pictures I have of my sister for snuggling with my kids on the couch and, you know, just watching movies and, and putting puzzles together. That was I couldn't even tell you in her last little bit on her how many puzzles she, we, our family that was visiting um, put together with her, but um, got to a point where she needed to be in hospice and went down to, to visit her, sat there, hold her hand, talked. And, uh, you know, she was just kind of wasting away. She'd gotten really thin and pale and just was not cancer was taking everything, everything out of
0: her. Are you still thinking that there's hope that we can't be doing this again? This can't be happening again.
1: I definitely had those thoughts of how, why, how is this happening again? Why is this happening again? However, once she went into hospice, I knew um, that that was, that that was it. And three months prior to Trent's passing, My grandpa, my paternal grandpa, so my dad's dad just passed away in his home, a hospice in, in home. Um, so we had been there with him through that. And, you know, I had had experience with hospice. I knew what it looked like. I knew that that, that that's the end, you know? And when I was (laughs) pregnant with Harper, my maternal grandma, she, the last thing I got to tell her was that I was having a baby girl and Harper Rose is named after, named after her. And that, you know, I knew with her that it was coming too. And then, so with Jenny, I had with my grandpa, with my grandma, you have that chance to say goodbye because you know, you know that it's coming to just the inevitable. Um, and then once Jenny went into hospice, I knew it was the same. Like this is, this isn't a, you're getting out of here deal. This is a, you know, I'm going to be here with you and tell you my goodbyes and that I love you. And, you know, honestly hope that you're eventually sooner rather than later relieved of this pain because she was in so much pain. And, um, I was sitting in there. I had stayed the night, the night before held her hand, you know, talked to her. She, was in and out at this point wasn't really awake. Um, So we didn't get to have a conversation. It was really just me talking. The next day, I left to go back home um, to Des Moines. And then I was going to turn around and, you know, come back the next day. But I was going home for a night. And not too long after I left, I got the call that she had passed. So I regret that a lot, choosing to leave at that time and go home to my family and and then I wasn't there,
0: but have you, have you given no. yourself, have you granted yourself grace through that and thinking, you know, I was going home with my family. I was going to take care of things and come back. It wasn't, I mean, your intentions were set, not on. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah I, I forgiven myself for that. Like I'll never be okay with the fact that I wasn't there, but I have forgiven myself and knowing that. That room was filled with people who loved her and were there to, you know, guide her into that next phase of life or afterlife. She, she wasn't alone. So I take comfort in that. I'm just sad that I wasn't, I wasn't there.
0: Do you feel like it's hard for you to think that you weren't there because you also feel like you weren't there for Trent? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's (laughs) with my sister, I at least got to say goodbye, um, and and know that she was surrounded by, you know, people that that she loved. With Trent, it just will tear me up for the rest of my life because you know, in those final moments, that he was scared, and that's really hard for me to wrap my mind around. I feel like my sister had reached some level of acceptance. Like she knew what was coming. I don't want to say she was prepared because how do you prepare for that, right? But um you know, when her when her time came, she was no longer in pain and she, you know, from my understanding it was quick and it was peaceful and she just, you know, took her final breath and then and then that was it. And I you know, I've never been in like a near death experience. I don't know about all oh, like the white light or any of those kind of things or that moment of peace that people say that they experience but I mean I could I could hope that for her um and I do with Trent I'm sure it was just sheer terror <sighs> so that's really
0: hard to think about well as a sibling that would be hard but then also to be big sister that's really hard um so you've experienced loss of, you know, grandparents and an overwhelming loss of your siblings. As far as after the death of Trent and Jenny, do you have triggers that kind of resurface those pieces of grief for you?
1: I don't know that I have triggers um, that make the the grief resurface necessarily. I would definitely say on like anniversary dates, I get really sad and you know, every year on Trent's birthday, like I write him a birthday letter. Like that's just been something that I use to cope and just like, you know, my way of catching him up on my life and telling him that I miss him. And, you know, that, that's that been pretty therapeutic every year to do that. But those, those anniversary dates are really, really hard for me. And then obviously with technology you have, you know, when Trent passed, Facebook wasn't a thing, but, you know, a lot of mine and Jenny's relationship is on Facebook and those memories and those things you know eventually sometimes those memories will pop up of like things that I had tagged her in that were happening in the future like after she had already passed so like a movie that was going to come out or you know some recipe to try or like you know whatever it is those will pop up and like I'll I'll get really sad about that because we never got to do that together and at that time obviously we didn't know that that was never going to happen I will say Facebook memories sometimes are pretty, Brittle. pretty triggering. And we have people still to this day that share every single year on the anniversary of Trent and Zach's death, you know, the in memory of Trent and Zach, which I, I love to see. And honestly, at this point, that doesn't necessarily make me sad to see. I love that people still um, share that and remember and keep their memory alive. And I love it when they share stories with me, you know, I'll get random messages sometimes from Trent's friends that were like, Oh, I thought of this the other day, or this memory, you know, popped up or Trent and I did this. And I, I never get sick of that. Um, Just the sheer amount of people that loved him and, you know, keep those memories alive still to this day. And my parents too, I know are very appreciative because Major milestones, people's weddings, you know, their baby announcements, all the things, you know, graduation would have been probably the first thing that rolled around and then all the subsequent life events after that. His friends have included my parents and kept in touch and, you know, I'll walk into their house and see a save the date hanging on the fridge from one of his close friends from high school. And to me, that's really special. And I know that it, it means a lot to them. So, yeah, I would say technology it can sometimes be uh, triggering or if the kids are out at my parents' house doing something that like Trent and I used to do it's happy but at times it's also sad there's been several times where my parents and I just sat down and cried and then laughed and you know other than that I just have weird anxieties about things um, especially when it like comes to cars like I and my husband hates it because I will audibly gasp at everything that he does when he's <laughs> driving. When <laughs> he's driving. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, that's almost the worst. You're making that noise. But um, yeah, just I don't like to feel like I'm not in control when it comes to driving. So I would just prefer to drive. I don't like that feeling of like, okay, you're take." I feel like you're taking this corner a little bit fast, even though you feel like you're in control, I feel out of control. So little things like that. And uh, I can't, if we're caravanning, you know, going somewhere, I can't follow my parents. I'll lead, but I can't um, be behind them because I just have this irrational fear of them being like swept off of the interstate. So yeah, those are like really, I would say really the only like lasting weird trigger anxieties that I have about about things.
0: How does this affect the way that you parent your children?
1: Life in general, I would say it's impacted me. You can argue that it's good or bad either way. Um but a very like tomorrow isn't promised mentality. So just do it. <laughs> and um sometimes that's gotten me in trouble because I maybe have done things that I shouldn't have done. But yeah, I very much live in a tomorrow isn't promised state of mind. So as as a mom, as, um, you know, a wife and in my life now, and the same way, you know, just, uh, tomorrow isn't promised. So I make sure always, you know, kiss my husband goodbye because in his profession, there is a very real possibility that he might not come home. I mean, he's a first responder and depending on the kind of call that they get or what he's out doing, um, that could be really hard too, to just all of a sudden see your husband running into a fire on the news when you haven't been able to get a hold of them for hours. But always make sure, you know, kiss them goodbye. Always say, I love you. I have, I don't know, that's an, an irrational fear because I would think most parents would not want anything to happen to their children. Right. right. But almost me to to a fault. Like I, I don't want to say that I helicopter parent because I, they have their freedom, you know, but I don't like them to be really out of my sight for very long. Like, even if it's just to go around the block to like a friend's house, I, I have anxiety about it just because again, I'm giving up control. They're not in my sight. Anything can happen between here and there. My mind just jumps to the worst and it's exhausting, honestly, but I just, you know, better safe than sorry. So I, I tend to keep them very close and I'm very controlling when it comes to my kids type out a list of things (laughs) if I'm sending them to a grandparent's house or um, not so much my parents anymore because I think they figured out all my nuances but (laughs) um, just yeah I like I like to be I don't like to give up control I think that's probably the theme here like I feel so many things in my life were out of my control that anything I can control now I have to and I
0: like to so looking back on your relationship with your sister and your brother and you have wonderful relationships with them what are you most proud of when thinking about them with
1: trent i you know i'm just proud of him as as a person um i think to positively impact as many people's lives as he did that your legacy continues to to live on and people continue to share these stories and they continue to surface just how you know, much of a bright light he was for so many people, his entire life. I'm like the most proud sister in the world that I, you know, that he was my brother. And yeah, I just beyond proud of him. Jenny, I'm proud of our relationship. She, like I said, was like a second mom to me growing up, spent all the time at her house. Um, I never wanted for anything when it, it came to her if I wanted it, I was going to get it. She spoiled the crap out of me. You know, when I was having like a rough patch, she was always there. She would literally drive hours to just to come hang out for one, just to cheer me up. She was such a selfless person in our relationship. When I was the selfish one, she would drop anything and everything for me. You know, I'm just so grateful for, for our relationship and the time that we had together Um, And the fact that my kids did get a short period of time where they got to know her and love her and um, her daughter, my niece, who's in her 20s now and has um, a little boy who is, you know, five days apart, maybe they're six days apart from my youngest. So those two are growing up to be the best of friends. And my niece and I have just an incredible friendship and relationship. Now I definitely would say she's more of like my friend than my niece, but um, our kids are growing up together and we have that bond. And I am so like eternally grateful to my sister for giving me her (laughs) and just having her in my life has been awesome. I see so much of Jenny in her that sometimes it's kind of eerie to, to look at her, but she's definitely living on through her daughter and
0: it's pretty awesome. Yeah. left her legacy with her daughter too. That's awesome that you get to have that. And that's a wonderful connection. What a, again, a gift. Yeah. So what have you learned about yourself? Do you think through these incredibly, um, difficult times?
1: I, have learned, I don't know. I would guess just say that I'm way stronger than I I give myself credit for. Um, I spent so long feeling bad for myself and wanting other people to feel bad for me because, you know, poor me, I've had this shitty experience after shitty experience. And, um, I think I've used all of these hardships for good in my adult life. Once I finally was able to mature, which I'd argue some days, maybe I'm still not as mature as I should be, (laughs) but, um, being able to use it, those lessons for good. Like I said, I love fiercely and the people that I care about, I go to bat for and I stand up for and I, dive headfirst and into anything that I do. And I just, I want to do all the things and see all the things and love all the people. I don't ever want anyone to feel like they're not loved or not included. Um, I go above and beyond on giving back to the community and my friendships. And I try to be involved in, you know, as much as I possibly can within the last year and a half now. It's probably been just a little over a year, actually. Like I said, I'm an open book. So I started writing for a local mom's blog. So I share a lot of like my parenting journey through there and life lessons. And it's been a great outlet to just have that community um, as well. So I think all the strength and pain and heartbreak and everything that I've gathered throughout all of this just kind of pours out of me and and give backs and and trying to make other people's worlds just a little bit better because mine was shattered for so long.
0: What would your best advice be to someone who has lost a sibling?
1: You think about all the things that people say when you lose someone that don't help at all. Sure, right. And I'm like, sure you've heard it all. Yeah. <laughs> yes, like, you know, it it'll get better, things will get easier time heals all wounds. Like, you know, you've heard all all of the the classic things. (laughs) I guess my advice would just be like, don't listen to that (laughs) advice because you're just grieve how you need to grieve and make sure that you do, um, whatever that looks like. And as alone as you may feel in that moment, you're not the only person that's ever gone through it. So you're absolutely not alone. I, I think that technology um, is great uh, that you have so many resources at your fingertips now to help you literally in whatever realm you're facing a hardship. Right. So, and even if that's locking, I mean, locking yourself in your bedroom and or your office or wherever it may be, and just turning up, music and sobbing uncontrollably. Whatever you need to do for you, do it. And when it feels right, and if, if time, if you feel up to it, having people continue to share those stories or um talking to to people who knew your siblings is always so good to hear those stories live on. So yeah, I guess what it boils down to is no two people experience the exact same loss it's always going to be slightly different even if it's a sibling it's in a different manner or different circumstances surrounding it so um no one knows your particular grief so you've just got to do do what's right for you and don't feel guilty or selfish in whatever that looks like because at the end of the day like your your mental health your ability to heal and move on is what's the most important.
0: And I think that's comforting in itself. It's comforting because knowing that your, your grief is unique and therefore it's valid. And yeah, it's comforting to know that, that my pain is unlike anyone else's pain, um, really validating. So I like that Kinsey. So then what would your best advice be to support people of those grieving the loss of a sibling?
1: Um, I don't know that I'm qualified to support anyone <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I still figure it out on a on a daily basis, but I mean, aside from losing a sibling, really just anything that someone's going through in life, um, I just try to be an ear. Uh, sometimes all you need is someone to sit there and listen and not say say a word. So I just try to be, Respectful of whatever people are going through, let them talk and truly, truly listen. I I know it's hard for me sometimes because you'll be sitting there listening to someone talk, and in your mind, you're trying to formulate a response and what the next thing you're going to say is, versus truly listening and being empathetic to their situation. To be able after the fact to say, "I hear what you say," you know, valid. Um, I respect you in sharing. And then, if you have something to offer, um, in addition to that, by all means. But sometimes people only just want you to listen. So, I try sometimes to a fault to be that rock for people and to be that person that someone can always go to, no matter what it is you're facing. I'm going to embrace you with open arms. I'm going to hug you, even if you're not a hugger, because I am. And I'm going to listen to what you have to say, because I would much rather someone come to me and get it all out and air their dirty laundry than feel like they have nowhere to turn. So I will always be that rock for people.
0: It's comforting and it's healing. I'm just so grateful that you agreed to sitting down and having a conversation because I'm certain that this is going to help and heal lots of people. So Kinsey Gillespie, thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate you sharing.
1: You are very welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: You guys, Kinsey Gillespie, I will put her information on her um, mom blog and her Instagram handle down in the description below. Make sure you follow. We will catch you next time on the B Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the B Podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Kami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.